twinged me, and um, we'll get to it in a second, but, uh, and I'll say it to you. But. So today we're going to uh, go into the, we're going to be in the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, and I am going to be all over the place in the book of Jeremiah, so if you try to follow me, good luck with that. I'll pray for you. So, but the book of Jeremiah is the second, I believe it's, correct me if you think I'm wrong, it's the second largest book in the Bible. I think the book of Psalms is first and Jeremiah is second, so there's a lot of ground to cover in there. Um, so when I mean the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, I mean, excuse me, they were all called Israelites, but they ended up splitting it. What the heck? How the week's been going. They um, ended up splitting into two kingdoms. Uh, one was the northern kingdom called Israel, and then the southern kingdom called Judah. And it's an understatement to say at the time that the people were not in a good place spiritually. They were in sin, and God chose the southern kingdom to send a prophet to. And that prophet was named Jeremiah. And this is the verse that I was talking about. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's not a potential man. That's a man with potential. As Eric had said. So he was a prophet. You know, prophets are a mouthpiece, or really a mouthpiece for God, exposing people's sin, calling them back to righteousness, speaking about future consequences of their actions or inactions. And Jeremiah was no different. He was called when he was young. Some people think he was around 17. We know he was under, under 20 years old. And like others before him, Jeremiah, and we talked about this when we preached about Moses, about the excuses and not wanting to go. And he had excuses why he didn't want to go. And uh, one of them was his age. And he says to the Lord in six, he says, Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. But like others before him also, God removes the excuses and points to himself as being in control. And certainly, as he did with Moses, shows he's not going to allow him to back out. And in verse 7, 17, he says, Don't say that, the Lord replied, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and take care of you. I, the Lord, have spoken. End of discussion. So Jeremiah does what he's instructed to do. And he shares what the Lord gives him to the people. And it's no surprise that the message of the Lord comes with this word, repentance, in these two words, or else. And this is the message that Jeremiah is supposed to preach to the people. And he continuously preaches this message of judgment upon Judah, primarily for idolatry and immorality. And at the time, I said the condition wasn't good of the people. It was actually the spiritual condition was one of depravity. From the time of Isaiah, they had practiced child sacrifice to the god Moloch. And it had continued into Jeremiah's time. And in chapter 32, the Lord says this about the people. 32, 33 says, They turn their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their abominable idols in the house that bears my name and they defile it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnon to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Moloch. 
Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind, they should do such a detestable thing. So make Judah sin. They are in sin. And it's in God's righteousness. Because of God's righteousness, there's going to be a terrible price to pay. But there was also in God's grace, they were going to have an opportunity to repent. To turn back to God. And Jeremiah was bringing these messages. He's referred to as the weeping prophet. Because he literally shed tears. He loved Judah and he was so bothered by their disobedience. And he was so bothered by the imminent destruction that was coming their way. That he cried for them. But he didn't only weep for that. He also wept because the people would not listen to him. He had many messages that came from the Lord. They would not listen. They would not repent. They stayed in their own ways. But Jeremiah was also a lonely walk. He was forbidden to marry. He was forbidden to have children because of the fate that awaited mothers and fathers and children born in the city. The Lord told him this, they will die from terrible diseases. No one will mourn for them or bury them and they will lie scattered on the ground like dung. They will die from war and famine, and their bodies will be food for the vultures and wild animals. Not a pretty picture. So he couldn't have a family. He was unpopular or even hated because of the message that he brought. He was opposed by some prophets. Hananiah opposed him. And the people chose to believe Hananiah because his message was easy to receive. It was good. So they chose his message. It would benefit them. Not really, though. Jeremiah was beaten. He was thrown in stocks. He was lowered into a muddy cistern, which is a pit. He was betrayed by his own family. He was abandoned by his own friends. He was ridiculed and mocked. He was socially rejected. He accused accused of treason, forbidden to go in the temple, held under arrest. Not the kind of job that you're... Foaming at the mouth to sign up for. It was lonely. But he continued to preach. And for approximately 40 years, he preached. 40 years. Many sermons, God's messages, with little or no success, at least kingdom-wide. People were stuck in this sin. They chose their own desires over God's will. and The nation was going to pay a horrible price at the hands of the Babylonians. No one listened to him. And it's during these messages that he's preaching. There's one message in particular in chapter 7. Seven that we see the Lord describing where the people are at, what's going to happen. But he also describes and he almost simplifies What sets the stage to be cursed or to be blessed? And it's actually chapter 17, not 7. 17.1 says, The Lord says, My people act as though their evil ways are laws laws to be obeyed, inscribed with a diamond point on their stony heart, or with an iron chisel on the corner of their altars. Even their children go to worship at the sacred altars and Asherah poles beneath every green tree and on every high hill. So I will give all your wealth and treasures together with your pagan shrines as plunder to your enemies. For sins run rampant in your land. The wonderful inheritance I have reserved for you will slip out of your hands. 
And I will send you away as captives to a foreign land, for you have kindled my anger into a roaring fire that will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness on salty flats where no one lives. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made their Lord their hope and their confidence. They are like trees planted along the riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit. The human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I know. I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. So we can see from these verses certainly a rebuke, rebuking the people. But it's also giving an example of, of what results in blessing, what results in curse. Not just for them, but for us. See, the Israelites had turned away from God. They put their trust in anything that would achieve their desires, their plans. Chapter 5, the Lord says this to the people. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people. You have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. Should you not fear me? He asked them, should you not fear me? They had forgotten who God is. They had forgotten that he is the creator of the universe. What are we singing? You're my creator. You're my maker. He had forgotten who he is. This is, this is something that we have to be wise with. We have to be careful with. Because sometimes we get caught up in Jesus is my friend. And we forget about holiness. And we forget about righteousness. And we forget about accountability. And he is your friend. And if Jesus did nothing for us except eternal salvation, that would be enough. But that doesn't mean we're not going to suffer consequences here for stupid actions. For sin. For the things that we think are right that are not righteous. Is Christ our friend? Yes. But he's our creator. See, our friend, yes, but he's the Lord. We can't use Jesus is my friend, so I got a pass type mentality. It's actually just the opposite. If Jesus is truly your friend, he's going to hold you accountable to everything that's righteous. Because he knows that's the best for you, best for us. See, they had forgotten who God was. They were spiritually blind. They had forgotten that he was all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere. They had moved away from the Lord. And when you move away from the Lord, you move away from the Lord's commands. They worshipped gods that would feed their desires and longings. And now the whole nation was going to be judged for it. So important note here that the nation was going to be judged And they were rejecting the messages. But it was Jeremiah's job to share the message, not to change their hearts. It was Jeremiah's job to be truthful and not compromising. And to share what God had given him. And God would do the rest. He preached and it wasn't received. But he still obeyed God in what he did. And he did that for 40 years. 
To the people, it should have been obvious that God provided everything. Should have been obvious. They should have seen his hand in nature, but they are at the point they are blind and deaf because of their sin. They did not fear God because they had lost sight of God as holy and righteous and creator, as creator. They trusted in the plans and strength and faithfulness and wisdom of men. They may have honored God with what they said, but they didn't trust him in their heart. They did not draw near to God because they didn't want to hear from God. If it didn't line up with their wants. This is confidence in the flesh and not the spirit. It's the confidence that leads to a curse. It leads to stunted shrubs in the desert. It leads to no spiritual growth. It leads to no strength from the Lord. It leads to no fruit and no hope. Throughout his time, these 40 years of preaching, they didn't recognize the truth. And they chose to follow men, false prophets, who shared messages that were comfortable. Who shared messages that were of blessing. Who shared messages that had a good ending for them. Today, what Jeremiah was dealing with, I believe we deal with in our country, our culture, our society. There are those who would call themselves religious but have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks who take scissors to the Bible and cut out what they don't like. They're like the Israelites who weigh the message based on what they wanted to hear and not holiness, not seeking the truth. To these folks, words like righteousness and accountability and chastisement, you'll never hear them. They'll never talk about them. They preach a different Christ Christ than in the word of God. And sadly enough, people follow them. They trust in man, they're stunted in the desert because they're not drawing what they need from Jesus Christ. There's no real relationship with them. They talk a good talk, but they end up doing what the world wants them to do. And how do you recognize them? There's a few things that stick out, and the first would be they're definitely going to be preaching messages of tolerance. They will promote the things of men over the righteousness of God. They will talk a good game and then their action will choose the world. And then they'll justify it by skewing the word of God somehow. And the scary thing is people will follow them. See, this is where we get in trouble. And so do the Israelites, when we start to follow men and not God, not Christ. And even as Christians, you can get stuck, you can get caught off guard. And if you're not doing the right thing, if you're not spiritually pressing in, if you're not praying, if you're not reading the word, if you're not putting the armor of God on, you're open to these things. You can start following men and not following God. And you can be backsliding without even realizing it because you're creeping backwards. And you can begin to forget Jesus Christ and what's important to him. And when we start following men, we stop following the word. And when we stop following the word, then we start compromising. And before you know it, you're over a line. You're like, how did I get here? And there's some suffering going on. 
And if you're truly Christian, you truly have the Holy Spirit and you truly belong to Jesus Christ. He hasn't forgotten you. And I will tell you this. If you're over that line, there's no way you're comfortable. Because if you're over that line, the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you're doing the wrong thing. And Christ is trying to pull you back towards him. And he's standing there with his arms wide open saying, don't go there. Don't stay there. Come to me. For those who follow God, for those who trust in the Lord, like Jeremiah, it is our job to share God's truth. It's our job to share the truth with those brothers and sisters who have strayed off the path. It's our, our job to share the truth with those who are lost and on a path to hell. And if we actually witness, if we actually see people who are doing the wrong thing or they're caught up in a sin or they're entangled or all of a sudden they're sucked into addiction or they're backing up for the Lord and we don't say anything, then we're part of the problem. Because Jesus Christ wants us to be part of the solution by sharing the truth. Listen, I'd love to say to you that if you see that, you have to say something to somebody that they're going to be all thankful and they're going to be like, oh, thank you for loving me and for helping me. Absolutely not. And a lot of times they're going to be so mad at you that you pointed sin out to them and they're going to be so angry with you. But you have to understand that this is God's plan and he knows what's best. And this is God's truth that we must follow. And you're being obedient to your side and what you're supposed to do. I wish that was the case. That when you shared the truth of God, that people would fall to their knees and they would immediately repent, immediately get back on the path of righteousness. But it doesn't happen that way all the time. It can happen that way, and praise God for it. But sometimes the reception's not so warm. We share the truth like Jeremiah did, then they choose. For the Israelites, they were going to face destruction and enslavement if they ignored the message. For people today, they're going to ignore the message. They're going to ignore the message. They're going to result. They're going to be in a situation of gnashing of teeth and torment, flames of hell, and separation from the Lord. No sense. Why sugarcoat it? We do ourselves an injustice when we sugarcoat it because it's not the real word. The truth in the word. Jeremiah had a message that was unpopular, not received well, and he was hated for it, but that did not stop him from sharing it. Why? Because he trusted in God. Why? Because he loved the people of Judah so, so much that he knew that God's way was the only way that there was ever going to be change. Love thy neighbor as thyself. If you truly love your neighbor, you don't want them to go to hell. You don't want them to go to hell. 
Jeremiah knew that this was the only way, and he trusted God. That's why he shared it, regardless of the reaction. He did what he was instructed to do, regardless of the response. Response made him weep, but it did not change his trust in the Lord. He loved Judah, he loved the people of Judah, but he loved God more. He was an example of the next verse. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they go right on producing fruit. Listen, this is an awesome verse, verses, that remind us of where we get our strength, our power, our patience, our endurance, our faith, our provision from. Because sometimes we forget that it all comes from Jesus Christ. It all comes from Jesus Christ. When we trust in the Lord, he supplies our strength in lieu of our weaknesses, right? We are able to stand in the midst of temptation and say no. We are able to lean on Jesus at all times. We are able to stay stay spiritually healthy. No backsliding. No temporary blindness. We will produce fruit because we grow in the Lord because Christ is the source of our sustenance. We won't have to worry about following men. You know why? Because we'll be doing the right thing spiritually. We'll be putting on the armor of God. We'll be pressing into Christ. Those roots will go deep in the water. What did I say at the beginning of this? You want everything that Jesus Christ has for you? We want everything he has for us. And he already says, Listen, if we belong to him, we're like a tree inside of the riverbank and the roots are going into that life-giving water, that sustaining water. And we just got to soak it up, man. We got to not hinder it. We just got to like, God, give it to me. And we do what we're supposed to do. We read the word. We pray. In the closet and with each other. We do the spiritual things that we're supposed to do. And we put Jesus Christ first. And he gives us everything we need. He gives us everything we need. You know, I've spoken today a lot about trust. I've mentioned it several times. But I want to mention this. You may not know this. You may know this. About this well-known verse. Because it's really important. (laughs) John 6, 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's important to understand here the word, the Greek word that's used for believes, whoever believes in him. It's the Greek word pistuo, and it means to entrust one's spiritual well-being to Christ, to have faith. It means to entrust one's spiritual well-being to Christ to have faith. That is a huge statement because in our culture, in our society, when you say you believe, what the heck does that mean? This is a surrender of self. This is a result of repentance and changing one's mind and turning away from sin and turning towards God, willingly placing your spirituality and otherwise in the hands of God. The hands of Jesus Christ. 
This is the position you should find yourself in if you've truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're trusting Him with all of you. See, if we're in that position, we're going to be the tree along the riverbank and our roots are going to be in Jesus Christ. And He's just going to be feeding us. And if we're in that position, we're not just going to have the outward appearance of being healthy. We're going to be producing fruit, man. We're going to be able to stand up under pressure in the world. We're going to be standing up in the face of that persecution. We're going to be standing up in the face of that trial, in the face of that temptation. The Bible says God won't give you a temptation. He won't provide a way out of. We're going to be looking for that way out. And as we're saying no and walking in the other direction. Why? Because we're drawing everything from Jesus Christ. And he's filling us with the Holy Spirit. And we've just opened. We're going to be the empty vessel letting him fill us up. If we are truly entrusting ourselves, spirit, our spiritual well-being to Christ, we are going to want to share that with somebody because our whole life is going to change. Belief in our culture, a lot of times, is head knowledge. I believe in Jesus. Or are you going to, I believe in God. But it's not just head knowledge. Biblically, belief and belief and trust are connected, man. They're connected together. The trust comes from that God-given faith and awareness that we need a Savior, that we are a lost sinner. If you don't have that, you haven't gotten saved. If you haven't reached out, you have this thing in your gut because you know you're going to hell. And you haven't reached out to Jesus Christ, then maybe it's head knowledge. Not heart knowledge. If we are entrusting our spiritual well-being to Jesus Christ, we are trusting his word. We are trusting his promises. We are trusting his plan for our lives. Did I say it was easy? No, because it's called faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. This is so important because I see people all the time, listen, just because someone prays the prayer, just when somebody says, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ, we're all over them and we think they've gotten saved and we treat them as if they've gotten saved and then you start seeing fruit in their life that doesn't line up with the word of God and then you're in a quandary. What do I do here? Do I say something? Do I not say something? People, let me say this. If we don't say something, we could be holding someone's hands all the way to the gates of hell and leading them in. We don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? No. Cursed if trusting in men, blessed if trusting in the Lord. The Israelites trusted in men and paid the price, being destroyed, some taken to Babylon in captivity taken from the promised land. 
For Jeremiah, once the attack was certain, this is how much Jeremiah loves the people. Once the attack was going to happen, and he knew it was coming, and they did not repeat, excuse me, repent, he starts to beg the people not to resist those in Babylon because he knows if he does, they're going to be utterly destroyed. So now he begs them not to resist those who are about to attack them and take them over because he cares so deeply. And as Jerusalem fell, he was released from prison and he went to Babylon. And from there, against his will, he went to Egypt. And we don't really have a solid record of his death. Traditionally, it's thought that he was stoned to death by the people he kept preaching the message to. But they can't really back that up. One thing is certain that we do know about Jeremiah is that he's trusted the Lord. So today, I want to I challenge couple of challenges. One is that if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can. Died on the cross for the sins of the world. There is forgiveness available. Jesus waits there with open arms and he wants us to come to him. You know, there's this verse in the Bible that talks on Christ is being questioned about why is he taking, I mean, no. There's this question about why is Christ taking so long to come back to the apostles? And they're saying he's not doing it like because we think of time. He's not, you know, he's being patient and enduring because he wants people to get saved. It's basically what it says. He's taking his time because he wants people the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ and to get saved and to come to know him as Lord and Savior. So listen, if you don't know Christ, how do you do this? In your mind, you go to Jesus and you repent, which means you have already made your mind up that you're going to turn away from the sins of the world. You're going to turn towards God. You're going to entrust your spiritual well-being to the hands of Jesus Christ. You're going to ask him into your life as Savior. Ask him into your life as Lord. That's what it takes. But you know what it takes? It comes from the heart, not from the head. It's not reciting a poem. It's not reciting a prayer. It's not reciting anything. It's having a conversation with someone you just realized is your creator and your savior and you're a lost sinner and you need him. Today, I want you to invite you to do that if you haven't. And if you do that, come talk to me after service. And on the flip side of that, maybe you have done that, and you're a Christian, but you're also struggling. Maybe you're struggling with trusting the, trust the Lord in all these different areas in your life, and some areas you're really struggling with. Well, listen, I think today is the day to recognize what you're trusting in. Because literally, if we're struggling in the Lord in some areas, most of the time, it's because we're trusting in something we shouldn't be. And that may even be yourself. Maybe even your own talents or whatever it is. But today is a great day to decide and to see and to hand over to God those things that you're trusting in, that you can surrender. It's a time to repent and to move forward. It's time to let the roots go way down. And to feed on all that giving, life-giving water that Jesus Christ has for us. I'm not sure we've been doing that. And maybe everybody's a little different, but... It's time to grow in the Lord. 
and to stop missing the blessings that he wants to pour out on us. It's a time to lay our pride aside and to realize that we've got issues that we need to lay out on the foot of the cross to humble ourselves. And listen, so I'm going to ask today, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. They said you were going to do another song or two. I'm going to ask you to take time and to do, you know, probably the hardest walk of your whole life, and that's from your chair to the altar. For some people, it's very difficult. I'm going to ask you to come up. I'm going to ask you to come up, and I had this in my heart earlier, and to pray for your kids. I'm going to ask you to come up and to pray for your marriages. I'm going to ask you to come up and to just ask God to show you what you need to change and those things that you need to remove. I want you to pray to come up and to ask God, how do I just get out of the way so these roots go as deep as they can, and I can get everything that you have for me, Lord? And then when you've done that, service is over. It's okay to be afraid, but it's in the face of fear that your next actions speak very loudly about who you are in Jesus Christ.